One of the things you'll notice right off the bat when it comes to the gospel is that Jesus Christ is never boring. And so when he's teaching people, for example, about the spiritual life, he doesn't really typically use abstract propositions, but instead he uses really symbolic and creative and even provocative language. Case in point, think about the Gospel of Luke chapter 12, right? The Lord talks very famously about how he has come, not so much to bring peace to the world, but rather division. And then to kind of reinforce the point, he goes on to talk about, you know, father versus son, mother against daughter, and so on and so forth. Now, in the face of it, this particular passage might seem to be relatively easy and straightforward until you realize there's actually a really subtle allusion to the Old Testament, specifically the prophet Micah, Micah chapter 7. And so basically in this particular passage, the prophet Micah issues a really important prophecy. So he foretells basically this period of division amongst the people of Israel. And he goes on to use the similar imagery that Christ uses in the gospel, right? Father against son, a mother against daughter. But then he goes on to say this, As for me, I will look to the Lord my God. And I will wait for the God of my salvation. And so given all that, from the perspective of the Old Testament, basically the idea was that one day in the future, the Messiah would come. And when he came, he would bring about a great reconciliation amongst the people of Israel, right? So a gathering of the 12 tribes of Israel in the promised lands. But then more to the point, this particular period of, of reconciliation and, and peace and redemption would be preceded by this period of division. Again, as symbolized by this notion of father against son, mother against daughter, and so on and so forth. And so therefore, in the context of the Gospel of Luke chapter 12, where the Lord refers explicitly to this prophecy from the prophet Micah, basically what he's saying is that he is the Messiah. He is the Messiah who will bring about, again, a reconciliation of the 12 tribes of Israel, right? But again, more to the point, this period of reconciliation and salvation and grace will be preceded by this period of tension, division, and strife. Or to express the same point in a slightly more economic sort of way, the whole idea is that any period of salvation and redemption is always preceded, without exception, by the narrow way of the cross. Okay, now in terms of concrete examples to further illustrate this point, a couple things kind of come to mind. And so first of all, think about the reality of church reform. And so if you think about it, any period of significant reform throughout the history of the Holy Catholic Church is always preceded by this prolonged period of division and tension and strife. And so, for example, think about St. Ignatius of Loyola, St. Teresa of Avila, or even St. Benedict, the founder of Western monasticism. And so in the case of all these different people, yeah, there was this period of great reform, but every single time it was preceded by this period of tension and division and strife. Not just conflict with the world, but also conflict within their own communities. And so in the case of St. Benedict, for instance, he was put in charge of bringing together all these different hermits. And what's interesting is that when he brought these people together, they were certainly together physically speaking, but not spiritually speaking, if you will. As a result of which Benedict tried to bring them together through a common way of life. But then what happened is that because they were kind of used to doing their own thing, they were massively resistant, to the point of which some of them tried to actually poison St. Benedict. Now, as you might expect, St. Benedict was obviously discouraged by this whole turn of events, right? I mean, who wants to be poisoned? But at the same time, he came to recognize and remember this particular point we've been talking about today. Salvation, and in particular, any sort of meaningful reform in the church, is always preceded by this long period of division, conflict, and strife, otherwise known as the cross. And so he ended up coming back and becoming, eventually, the founder of Western monasticism. But you know, that said, we can even take it one step further, right? Because this principle of salvation always being preceded by the cross is especially relevant when it comes to our own personal conversion. Because, you know, quite honestly, I've often found that in my own kind of pastoral practice, a recurring obstacle which often prevents people from very quickly becoming the persons that God is calling them to be is not so much a lack of goodwill, 
but rather it's a forgetfulness with regards to this particular point that salvation again is always preceded by the narrow way of the cross. In other words, I think we often forget that in order to reach this place of, of healing and, and redemption and peace within our own souls, we necessarily have to undergo this really prolonged period of division and strife. Again, not so much with the world out there, but within our own souls. We have to kind of wrestle with ourselves to achieve the grace that God wants to give to us. Case in point, think about the notion of forgiveness. And then ask yourself this question, why is it that so many of us have a real struggle when it comes to the subject of forgiveness? Well, to be honest, I think a big reason why forgiveness is so difficult is because people misunderstand what forgiveness actually entails, right? And so, for example, forgiveness is not the same thing as feeling a certain way, right? So just because I still feel the lingering hurt of the thing that was done doesn't mean that I still can't choose to forgive. And along the same lines, I think a lot of people confuse the notion of forgiveness with simply being forgetful, you know, hence the expression, forgive and forget. But, you know, just to be clear, forgiveness has nothing to do with forgetting, right? And so if you happen to remember a particular harm which has been done to you in the past, that simply becomes an occasion to choose to forgive yet again. But, you know, that said, and this is kind of more to the point, I think one of the biggest reasons why people struggle with the notion of forgiveness is because they're not really respecting their own stories. They're not really respecting the interior dynamics of their own hearts. In other words, in the aftermath of a particular wrong which has been done, I think people often forget that the Lord is actually calling them to attend to themselves, to attend to the deep wounded places in their own hearts as an important prerequisite to actually moving forward and making this great act of forgiveness. Okay, now obviously there's a bunch of different ways that kind of further expand upon this point, but one thing that kind of comes to mind right off the bat is to make sure you take a mental inventory of the different ways you've been hurt and to address these wounds one at a time. And so to use an example, think about the analogy of a car accident. And this is taken from a talk by Father John Burns and Sister Miriam James Highland. And so the whole idea here is that in the aftermath of a serious car accident, where you've suffered, for example, broken bones, soft tissue injuries, burns, wherever the case may be, if you then go to the hospital, but the doctor responds by simply giving you a Tylenol, well, obviously that doesn't do justice to the harm you sustained, right? So what you need to do is kind of go through the list of injuries and address each one of those things one by one in a very careful and deliberate sort of way. And of course, the whole point is that so it goes with the spiritual life. And so, for example, when you're hurt by another person, it could very well be a simple thing, right? Where there's a simple injury which has been sustained, easy remedy, move on with your lives, right? But more often than not, it's a lot more complicated than that. And again, if that's the case, I need to put in the time and the effort to kind of name my wounds and make sure I get the help that I need. Now, obviously, this can involve the other person who's harmed us in some way, but oftentimes not right away, right? Maybe that's not the prudent thing to do. So maybe you bring into the picture family, friends, parents, maybe psychologists to help you work through these things, again, as an important prerequisite to making the act of forgiveness that God is calling you to make. But that brings us to our next point with regards to forgiveness. And that point is basically this, to make a really important distinction between forgiveness on the one hand and reconciliation on the other. And so when it comes to forgiveness, I often think of it in terms of an act of trust, where I surrender this thing, this situation to the Lord, kind of saying to him in a certain sense, like, look, you care about justice, Lord, way more than I care about justice. And more to the point, you're able to make all things new. And so therefore, I surrender this thing, this complicated situation to you, trusting and believing that in your own way, in your own time, you'll make things right. So I give it to you so that I don't have to carry it with me, right? And the point is that forgiveness, when seen in this way, is something that I can do independent of the person who has wronged me in some way. Whereas in contrast, reconciliation actually requires the person who has hurt me in some way to actually do something. Specifically to take responsibility for the different ways he or she has hurt me in some way, 
but also on top of that to do what he or she can to make reparation or to make up for the wrong which has been done. And so given all that, the whole idea is that there can be forgiveness apart from reconciliation. It's not to say that we don't hope for reconciliation. It's not to say that God doesn't call us towards reconciliation. But the idea is that in order for reconciliation to, to take place, again, certain things have to take place in terms of the other person taking responsibility and trying to make amends. But in the meantime, we can still forgive. Because forgiveness, again, is simply making an act of trust in the Lord. Lord, I entrust to you this complicated situation so that I don't have to. So I surrender this thing to you so I can basically get on with my life. And the whole point, even though it might sound kind of strange, is that it's possible to forgive another person, even though perhaps reconciliation, at least right now, might not be in the cards. Okay, but that brings us to the final thing I want to say with regards to forgiveness. And that's basically to say this. I think, quite honestly, one of the main reasons why we struggle to forgive other people is because we forget the primary reason why we're called to forgive in the first place. And so just to be clear, the main reason why we're called to forgive anyone who's hurt us in any sort of way is not because that person deserves it, and it's not because the harm we've sustained isn't a big deal, and it's not because the person didn't really mean to hurt us. No, the main reason why we're called to forgive anyone who's hurt us in any sort of way is because God has forgiven us first. God has forgiven us much. God has forgiven us a debt that we cannot even in principle pay back. And again, it's for that reason and that reason alone that truly we are called to forgive our neighbor. But you see, that said, the thing I want you to notice here is that with regards to all these different points we're making with regards to the subject of forgiveness, is that the common denominator with regards to all these things is that all of it takes time. All of it takes work. And so, for example, it takes time and effort to name and address all the various ways in which you've been hurt. It takes time and effort to bring about reconciliation beyond forgiveness. And on top of that, it takes a lot of time and effort to name all the different ways that God has been merciful to you. All different ways he's forgiven you your sins, right? And again, all that's really important because it helps to fortify your motivation to actually forgive other people who have wronged you in some way. You see, the whole point is that because this whole process takes time, because this whole process takes effort, there will necessarily be this recurring temptation to give up on the whole venture because, you know, we're not finding the quick fix. But it's precisely in these moments that we're called to remember that salvation in all its forms is always necessarily preceded by the narrow way of the cross in the form of this really prolonged period of division, strife, and tension. Certainly in terms of our relationship with the world, but also primarily in a certain sense within our own hearts. So given all that, in moments of trial and temptation, when we're tempted to give up the fight simply because the battle is long and arduous and difficult, perhaps we would do well to remember the words of the prophet Micah, who again very famously says, As for me, I will look to the Lord and wait for the God of my salvation. And may God bless you all.